0: Uh, t- today, um, we've been going through this process of, of spiritual gifts and searching out um, you know, what God would want to say to us about spiritual gifts. And, and the, um, the assignment fell to me this morning to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I stand before you uh, quite the most unlikely uh, Person to do this, and so I just, I just ask that you would speak through me, that you, Holy Spirit, would manifest your presence among us here today, Lord, that you would communicate what you want to communicate, that your heart would be um, passed on, that your word would be communicated clearly, Lord, and that we would be changed in your presence, in Jesus' name. So I want to start from Ephesians 4. 1 through 6. Paul writes, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I come to you just in humility, um, Growing up in the church, being, uh, you know, coming to faith at a reasonably young age, but growing up in a predominantly Baptist environment, predominantly cessationist environment, where—and for those of you that don't understand that term—that's Baptists who believe that the gifts of the Spirit stopped at the time of the apostles. Um, That's that's the environment that I grew up in. And uh, that's the teaching that I was raised under. Um, and so it's really quite profound that I stand before you as an elder in this, you know, charismatic uh, charismatic uh, Pentecostal church. Um, you know, fully believing and expecting um, the manifestations of uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And yet, not fully experiencing everything that I desire. And that runs across, you know, many different gamuts. Um, I think all of us know that tension between what we desire and what we experience. And one of our biggest challenges is when we we dial down our theology to match our experience, (laughs) we start to have a real problem. And God no longer looks like God. He looks more like us, you know, and we're actually supposed to be transformed into His image. We're not supposed to transform Him into our image, right? So, that's what I want to look at today. As we lift our eyes up to Him with expectancy that He would meet us here. And so the the real story of you know that we classically know I mean why do pentecostal churches why are they called pentecostal? It's like they believe in what happened on a certain day on the the Jewish festival of Pentecost, okay? Which is 50 days after the previous Jewish festival, which is the feast of first fruits. Which happens to be the day that Jesus rose from the dead, because he is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. And 50 days later, in accordance with his promise, the apostles and his other disciples had gathered together in a room together to pray. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This is Acts 2 verses 1. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as, as the Spirit gave them utterance. I mean, that is a wild earth-shaking, defining moment in history, you know, when the Holy Spirit came and and came into that room and genuinely changed the course of history. And so this is the place that, that the discussion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit really kind of tends to to begin and, and is focused on. And it's just, um, I mean, and it's, you know, it's an absolute wow moment. And it's, but it's also, you're like, you know, some people think it's just for them and we're, we're all grateful for that. And, you know, and Paul seems to say that actually, you know, God wants to do the same thing with each of the rest of us. And so, we've looked at that, and I'll just, you know, part of this discussion over the last couple of weeks has been going through 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, um, where, we talk, where Paul talks about gifts. And just, you know, I'll reread it just to, um, just to remind us, you know, some of what he says here. It says 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11, it says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all in everyone. And I think, pausing here for a minute, again, there's a variety, you know. And all too often our theology, our denominations, you know, are all based on a group that looks like me, (laughs) you know, And there are lots of different varieties, and one of the incredible graces of this church and being here in this nation is the diversity of languages and tribes and tongues that are represented in this room right now. Uh When I'm in America, in in the South, (laughs) you know, in a very, you know, white space with people that look like me, you know, I don't get a whole lot of variety <laughs> you know and then we build up structures that look like people like us right and and all too often then it becomes well they don't they're different or they might not even believe the correct way you know and so my baptist community looked at the assemblies of god community and we like oh i don't know i don't trust their faith you know, <laughs> I mean, just so many barriers that come between us all because of so oftentimes our own lack of humility, our own lack of or even our fear of others, and so God affirms right here. That variety is actually important. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another variety of kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I didn't get your gift, and you didn't get my gift, okay? But he, he says, guess what? We're all family, right? We need each other. I need your gift, you know? I need your gifts, And you need mine. And we need to function as the team that he is building, as the the church. And the church is not a building. The church is the community of God, the bride of Christ, right? Church is not just an event that we attend on Friday morning or Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. It's the community. It's the people. And he says... I gave this gift to you, and I gave a different gift to somebody else because I want you to need each other. <laughs> right? It's really important. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14, so just kind of um, continuing on with this, with this theme, you know, Paul is actually now talking about speaking in tongues. And, and he says, you know, I speak in tongues more than any of you, you know, um, which is pretty cool. you know. And, and, and there are so many things that I've, you know, that I've learned through the years. You know, again, I, I grew up in, a, in an environment, again, that stunted my growth in this, in this space. You know, but I hear stories, and I encourage you to read stories of people like Jackie Pullinger, I don't know, has anybody ever heard the story of Jackie Pullinger? Jackie Pullinger uh, was a missionary in Hong Kong. And she was working with uh, people who were addicted to heroin. And Jackie would just sit in a room with somebody high on heroin and would pray in tongues for a couple of hours and then God miraculously would deliver this person from their drug-induced state and would, would break the bondages of addiction. And time and time again, you know, God used her gift in speaking in tongues to be able to demonstrate the power of God. Um, and so the things like that intrigued me. You know, and 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 this dissonance of of you know the people around me when I was growing up, who you know, and and so I, you know I, later on I, I read this verse in, um, verse thirty nine at the end of of First Corinthians fourteen says, "So brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid the speaking of tongues." I was like, really. <laughs> seems like everybody you know i grew up with kind of spoke in exact opposition to that <laughs> um you know and so i didn't understand it at all but i knew i needed to stop the prohibition right <laughs> i needed to be open and there were so many things that were that were uncomfortable to me and that were so different than than my experience but you know, God began to woo my heart and he also began to open me up to other things that were beyond my grid, prophesy. What does that mean? You know? And there are some crazy examples, you know, all throughout scripture. You know, and we, again we tend to uh you know in in places like you know, if you're any if your experience was anything like mine, we relegate the prophetic to you know the Old Testament, for the most part, you know and and so there's this there's this lack of expectation that God wants to speak to us directly today we've got the Bible right we don't need him to speak, but no actually you know there's a there's a difference in the word logos which is written, and the word rhema, which is alive and spoken. And God wants to speak to you today. You know, and He wants you to hear His voice. He wants you to be in relationship with Him. And God oftentimes will use His word to speak. You know, in ways that oftentimes violate our (laughs) accepted hermeneutical practices. I was like, that's out of context. Well, but it was a unique word for me today, and I don't understand it, but it was that was actually God speaking to me. And God, you know, amazingly, he, he did speak out of context to, to Peter a number of times. Um, Peter was the classic one who, who quoted verses out of context, and yet God spoke to him through that um and and uh, really profound if you', if you, well, you kind to of go off piece and, and discuss you know how Peter heard the voice of God. but um, with that I would I would like to actually move back away from discussion of manifestation of the Holy Spirit and actually look at the topic of baptism. And it's really interesting that this, Phrase, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit, is actually in every single gospel. There are so many things that are in three out of the four, but this phrase is in every single gospel. So you know it must be important, (laughs) right? Every single account says, and this is, they're actually quoting John. Okay. John the baptizer matthew three eleven mark one verse eight luke three sixteen john one thirty three each of them recounts the fact that John the Baptist says and I'll read from john um That, and, John is, and John bore witness. It says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So, John testified, John's testimony was that God had told him that the one who the Holy Spirit descends on and remains, he will baptize others with the Holy Spirit. There's always a little bit of difference in each account. Two of the accounts add an additional thing. Any thoughts on what the additional thing is? We actually sang about it. It's depicted in this painting. (laughs) Fire, (laughs) right? The Holy Spirit and fire is added in two of the accounts. And there's some pretty profound things when you start to think about that. Historically, God showed up in fire all throughout the accounts in the Old Testament. You know, God met Moses in that burning bush that was on fire. And then when they set up the tabernacle in the desert, when they consecrated it and set it apart, and they prayed and sacrificed God demonstrated his in a physical manifestation of his presence a pillar of fire came down and it descended on the tabernacle itself later on God manifests his presence with Elijah and fire fell from heaven and consumed his sacrifice affirming Elijah's status as a prophet of God It's interesting that, you know, Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, both both Moses and Elijah experienced the fire of God falling, and Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, okay, and so what happened when the Holy Spirit came that John says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. At Pentecost, fire descended on, and rested on the apostles, demonstrating just in the same exact way that the fire had descended on the tabernacle, representing the, the presence of God with them. It's interesting. The the word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach. Um, I love it. I am not a student of Hebrew myself, but I am a student of Arabic. And I love it when the Hebrew and the Arabic, which are cousin languages, line up. (laughs) And the word in Arabic is ruach. Um, and there's some really interesting things about that word. Um, the first place you see it in all of Scripture, and that's always a really important thing, is where is the first time this showed up? The first time that word gets used is in the second sentence. <laughs> okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Spirit of God showed up in the midst of chaos, in the midst of darkness. And John 1 says that Jesus was there from the beginning. You know, and God spoke the world into existence. What happens when we speak? Ruach is not just spirit. It's actually breath. It's wind. The same word. Arabic too. And so when you speak, roch goes out from your mouth. And when God spoke, his roch went out and hovered over these dark, chaotic spaces. And order came forward. And all that you see today was created. His Ruach established the world. You know, it is, it is his animating, life-giving energy. Without Ruach, there is no life. Without your Roach, uh, there is no life. Two years ago, this, you know, really today, right now, is my father's birthday. Um, and we went back for my dad's 80th birthday uh, two years ago today. And, uh... It was really special to get to celebrate with him. I hadn't seen him for three and a half years because of the pandemic and and uh um, and during that visit we actually took a special um my mom's birthday is ten days later and, and we went and uh decided to go on a little Holy Spirit adventure on um uh little pilgrimage, if you will, uh, on Mom's birthday. And we went to visit a house called the Bonnie Bray House in Los Angeles. And uh, in that house, kind of like what we've been doing here for the last 24 hours, there was night and day worship going on in a little um, predominantly... African community in Los Angeles. And people there were seeking God and praying um, and just longing for an outpouring of His Spirit. And God showed up in some pretty profound ways. Um, And uh, it wasn't long before the meetings that they were having in that house got to be so big that they had to move down the street to a place uh, on a street called Azusa, and, uh, you know, that became, you know, what we know as the Azusa Street Revival, where thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to Jesus and came to experience his presence, Um, and people were sent out literally around the world you know in, in a way that that shaped nations um and profound things happened and so we we went down and we uh we visited azusa street together with mom and dad and then we also then went to go visit the church um where mom and dad uh first attended as newlyweds in nineteen sixty three they were uh, you know 21 years old. They'd just gotten married. My dad had grown up in the Episcopal Church, and and he, but he didn't really know Jesus. You know, it was for him it was cultural. You know, and I don't know about, you know, any of you, where you're at. You know, what your experience was, growing up. You know, are you here just because it's a cultural thing? Because you know, I'm not. I'm not like the other people that I sit with at work, and so I kind of think I should be here, but I'm not really sure. You know, and that's true for a lot of people. It was true for my dad. He was, it was 1963. It was, you know, it was a very cultural thing. And so he shows up to the local Episcopal church, and the crazy thing about this church was that he, my mom and dad today say that they walked into this place, and it looked like people were in shock. And they were kind of dead. And three years earlier, in 1960, the pastor of this church was a guy named Dennis Bennett, Anglican rector. And he was crying out for more of God's Spirit because he recognized that there was a gap between what he read in his Bible and what he had experienced in his walk with God to that point. And he was longing and asking God for more. And on Easter Sunday, 1960, God showed up in a pretty profound way at that church, St. Mark's Episcopal in Van Nuys, California. And over the next year, there was a genuine revival as God's Spirit started manifesting in some ways that they, not everybody was comfortable with. (laughs) And so much so that they got, you know, written up in Time Magazine and, and some other things happened, that ultimately the church said, you know what, please go away. You know, you want to keep doing that, pursue it somewhere else. And so... Dick Bennett and his family moved up to Seattle and, and continued to seek God in in those new ways that they were learning. But but those that had been with them in that church left. And, and in many respects the Ruch left this place. And that's where my mom and dad first went to church as a newlywed couple. A place where the Ruch had just left. <laughs> um you know, and uh, you know through the grace of God and and the challenges of of service in Vietnam and and other things, my dad actually came to meet Jesus for you know um, about seven years later in 1970. and the crazy dynamic was that this the the revival that had really started there with the with Dennis Bennett um, you know became kind of moved into what became known as the Jesus people movement you know a a, a genuine revival and, and there 's actually kind of a, a movie that 's coming out this month for those of you who get to see it called the Jesus Revolution talking about what God was doing in that season in 1970 in California. And and my parents were in Hawaii, and that was just all in that same space. And they came to faith in a very profound way and started us on this journey of faith, you know. And God has been so faithful and so gracious in all of those things to bring us into relationship with him. You know, and, and so why does he baptize us? He baptizes us not just to... He baptizes us to give us his spirit, to take us from death to life, right? That whole dynamic, when we are apart from God, we are dead, when we come into relationship with Him, He makes us come alive. He takes us out of darkness and into light. And that is His invitation to each and every one of you. He wants you to leave darkness and come into light. He wants you to transform from being dead to being alive. He wants to breathe His Ruach into you. You know, and That's the transformation that happens, and we we say baptism is a picture of uh, the death of Jesus Christ, and so when we are immersed in water, it's an image of what His death was like, and when we come up, it's a declaration that I was once this way, and now I'm this way. I was once dead, now I'm alive. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so, that's what happens. You know, baptism really happens at the moment of conversion, when he breathes his Holy Spirit life into you. First and foremost, fundamentally, without him, you do not have life. Without His Spirit, you don't have life. And He does that, not just that you would feel good about yourself relative to somebody else. He does it, you know... In Genesis, at the early start of the journey of this, um, he says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to set you apart, and I'm going to bless you. But I'm blessing you because I want you to be a blessing. And not just to your family, but to all nations. God's heart has always been to reconcile with all of his creation to bring people from every tribe and tongue, to bow before Him and worship and honor Him as King, you know. And so in that process, He baptizes us with His Spirit. We die, and He lives. (laughs) It's an awesome exchange. (laughs) It is a sweet exchange. And as a demonstration of that, let me come back to Acts. You know, the, I think the the critical thing with um, with ba- the the image of baptism is it's it's an immersion, right? I mean, I know <clears throat> many different traditions. And I've been part of Presbyterian Church, been, you know, my Episcopal Church, Anglican Church. There are many different traditions in terms of baptism, but, but the, um, when you look at the at the Jewish roots, <coughs> they use this thing called a mikveh, and uh, and it is an immersion um, for ritual cleansing. And the point of immersion. Um, is because God wants us to be all in. He wants all of us, not just, not just part of us. You know, the, the yeah, He wants all of you. He wants all of you. He doesn't just ask for a portion of our life. He says, "I'm going to bury you, and I'm going to give you an abundant life that is beyond what you could ask for or imagine." The demonstration of that, you know, I love um, in Acts. There's a story. Um, you know, they're they're trying to figure this thing out, right? You know, the first the first real manifestation of this happens in Acts two. Peter is preaching. Um, you know, they've they've had the fire descend from heaven on top of their heads, you know, just like in the tabernacle, and and so they go out from that place, and the people see them, and 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 they think that they're drunk, right? They think that they're they're you know, and, and Peter's like, look, guys, it's only nine in the morning, and. We haven't been drinking. We've just been spending time with God. Now, you know, I mean, yes, I get it. I'm a little loopy. We were up from, you know, we got up at 4 a.m. so we could be with the, our friends in the, in the worship this morning. and uh, But that's, you know, that's kind of the way they are. They had been praying all night long, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, God's Spirit manifests in some powerful ways. And they go out, and they just start speaking in languages that they'd never studied and you realize that the, the, it recounts that, that this is a pilgrimage feast, Pentecost. And so people have traveled to Jerusalem from all over the world, and they are, have gathered there to seek God. And all of a sudden, God is, is, is showing up in a profound way. And it says that 3,000 people got saved that day as they heard the message of Jesus preached in their own language, which is mind-boggling. Okay, but the but the direct result of the manifestation of the Spirit was that people started following Jesus. That people got transformed out of darkness into life. That the roh of God went into their life and transformed them from death to life. Amen. And so that happened there. But it, the initial thought was, yeah, this is just for the Jews. But in Acts ten, Peter gets called. By this Roman centurion named Cornelius and invites him to his house. And he's like, uh, you know, wait a minute, you're Roman. I'm not supposed to eat with you because of my dietary laws and restrictions and I can't touch you. And it's kind of awkward. I'm in this space where I'm really uncomfortable, kind of like me. Um, and And he comes up there Because of a dream that God has given him. And he's like, okay, just like Paul said, you know, so many of our Jewish friends are sensitive to God speaking in dreams, just like, you know, many of our local friends are, are, you know, God speaks to them in dreams. And so God speaks to Peter in a dream and he's obedient to the heavenly vision and he goes to speak to Cornelius. And while he's talking to him, the Holy Spirit shows up in such a profound way that they're like, they just started speaking in tongues, and there's clear evidence of the Holy Spirit's manifestation in them just the way it was with us. So, how can we argue with the fact that, you know, should we or should we not you know, welcome them into the family? God clearly has welcomed them into the family. They are one of us. All of a sudden, I can recognize the Holy Spirit in you. You know, I mean, do we get that? You know, I can recognize and honor the Holy Spirit in you. I can recognize and honor the Holy Spirit in you. And we realize that we are family, even though we are from different cultures and communities, you know. And that's what happened with Peter at Cornelius' house. They recognized the Holy Spirit in them. And even though so much culturally said, no, nah, I'm not sure we need to keep these people at bay, they're like, No. No, we've got to welcome him in because this is actually God's heart. This is actually God's heart that we would be together as one in Him. And that changed everything when the baptism of the Holy Spirit was manifest in Cornelius' house. You know, Peter at Pentecost quotes Joel 2. And I love Joel, too, because it says that old men will dream dreams. <laughs> so there's hope for us guys that are over 50 <laughs> you know that God's in these last days is going to pour out his spirit in ways that give you know, us the power to do what He's called us to do, to speak prophetically, to be His hands and feet. But that's really what He calls us to do. He calls us to act, not just to absorb. Right? He says that that rivers of living water will flow from us. Okay? God hasn't invited you into His family to just absorb. You're not here on Friday morning to tick a box, to get fed, and go away happy. Okay? Rivers flow. (laughs) Okay? There's an incredible practical example in the Holy Land, and it's called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea goes in, nothing goes out. Do you want to be a river, or do you want to be a Dead Sea? Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It's water. You don't want to drink it. Fish can't live in it. The river flows and there's life. So, why does he give us the Holy Spirit? He wants us to do what he's asked us to do. Jesus said, Go into all the world, proclaim the good news. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll close with this. In in Acts four, I mean, it's not necessarily going to be easy. In fact, oftentimes it's not going to be easy at all. Just because you've got a spirit doesn't mean that life's a cakewalk. In fact, it's probably going to get harder. And so in Acts 4, the religious leaders have finally gotten fed up enough with Peter and John, and they've beat them, and they've, and they've sought to muscle them as much as they can, And then uh, they get released, and they go back and join their community. And they prayed, and they gathered together and prayed. And so, in Acts 4, verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, this is Peter and John praying together, And now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to Your servants to continue to speak Your Word with all boldness while You stretch out Your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of Your holy servant Jesus. That's what they were commissioned to do. That's why they got brought into account before religious leaders who recognized that they were changing the structures, the existing power structures. And they said, no, that we're not going to accept this. You're, you're trying to hold us accountable for the blood of that man, Jesus. And they were like, Lord, give us boldness. Stretch out Your hand to heal. Do signs and wonders through the name of Your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Jesus, we've been honoring you with 24 hours of constant prayer. We long to see you move among us, just as you did in Acts 4 to be ready for persecution in all things to represent You well, to speak Your Word with boldness, to be ready to lay our lives down. Lord, for the joy of knowing You, for the joy of seeking You, Lord, may Your Spirit move among us. May your life breathe in us. Lord, shake this place. Shake us. Let us not be content with the things of this world. Let us pursue you and share with everyone we meet your incredible grace and goodness. And So if I want to invite any of you if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't, if you haven't experienced the living breath of God in you, He wants you to be part of His family. He is calling you. And all you have to do is say yes. It's His work. He transforms you. From darkness to life. He buries you and gives you his life in exchange. Holy Spirit, move among us. We love you, we honor you, and we expect that you continue to move in 2023 in the same way that you did on the day of Pentecost Lord your power is still present to heal your grace is still sufficient to meet all of my weakness so Jesus we honor you